Mr. Courtney Cox, you did that to me? You come to my house and embarrass me in front of my fans? Who the hell do you think you are? You want to get in the ring? You get in the ring with me. Me. All right. All right, Eric. It's a deal. I'm going to 1-800-KICK-YOUR-BUTT. Welcome to Keep It 2000, a joke that turned into a wrestling podcast that has revealed itself to be a psychological experiment. Uh, I am Brian Mann, and joining me, as always, is my fellow test subject, Nate Milton. Nate, we are in it. Today is a historical episode. It's, it's very rare you can see the dawning of a brand new era, and today begins the David Arquette era. Yes, it is. Uh, it is another great week here on the uh, universe's favorite interracial cross-generational pop culture pro wrestling show dedicated to the genius of one Vincent James Russo. And you're right, Brian, man, this is, I don't know, is this like the being at the, the start of the universe right when the Big Bang hit, or is it like watching a car crash in slow motion? It's one of those two. I can't, I can't quite put my finger on it. I honestly didn't think that the initial jump was that bad. I mean, honestly, in terms of celebrity involvement, this wasn't that awful, but that obviously would all end the next day. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about this episode of Nitro. And joining us is someone that we want to have on the show for quite some time. Uh, You've seen him on At Midnight and the Eric Andre Show. He's a phenomenal rapper and the co-host of the Fantastic Tights and Fights podcast. Open Mike Eagle is on the satellite with us. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on and for, for being here for this momentous episode. Man, thanks for having me, and thanks for saying all those nice things about me, and I'm going to go now. <laughs> that was it. Thank you so much for being here, Mike. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> Smart, smartest guest yet. Get out while you're ahead. <laughs> Actually, no, it's, only, it's all downhill from there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you so much for, for being on the show. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about your show just a little bit. I love the Tights and Fights podcast. Uh, what I like so much is that you guys are doing a current events wrestling podcast but it isn't all complaining obviously it's tough not to with the current product but there's like a genuine good humor there and uh i'm just curious how do you guys maintain that balance because i recently had to watch an episode of smackdown for uh for a review podcast and that was a a real drag i mean it's honestly it's probably hardest on me because out of the three of us um it's me daniel rafford and how Loveland to do the podcast and out of the three of us, I'm the one who's probably been involved with the internet wrestling community the longest. Like, I've been on, you know, I've been checking message boards and, and reading Meltzer's stuff secondhand on the internet since, like, 2000. So mm-hmm. I'm as jaded as jaded can be. Like, I really don't, I pretty much hate watch um, all five hours of, of uh, primetime <laughs> wrestling every week. Um but I think genuinely when I look at the product, um, like there's been in the like in the last, I want to say year, like like 
they've made some strides. There, there's been some improvement. Uh, SmackDown, unfortunately, has gotten worse lately, but then Raw has gotten better. So um, we tend to focus on whatever's most interesting to all of us, and I guess I, I guess that helps us stay completely out of the negative. But it is difficult, especially for me, because it's really easy to upset me, especially with bad booking, which is just you know, as we all know, is pervasive as it ever was these days. Well, then you uh, you picked a good show to come on uh, oh this God. week. Uh, oh my now, God! What was your what was your relationship like with WCW in the year two thousand? Were you a WCW fan growing up? Uh, Nate and I both, you know, WCW was our initial company, and then we transitioned over to the uh, WWF WWE. Were you watching in two thousand? Uh, what? How did your fandom begin? I uh, I grew up mostly watching WWF, but I was a big wrestling fan in general. So anytime I ever ran across any wrestling, I would watch it. And so um, WWF being available pretty much everywhere all the time, um, whenever I did run across some, you know, it was it was still NWA when I first found it. Whenever I did run across it, I thought it was great because I used to read the after mags. So I'd always see these uh, fantasy comparisons of Hogan and Flair and whoever was the AWA champion at the time. So whenever I ran across any of that stuff, I was always really excited to see it and check it out. Um so I've always just been a fan of wrestling in general, just, you know, having been spoon fed WWF more than anything. Um, in 2000, uh, I was in college and the dorm rooms that we stayed in, I think, had USA, but didn't have TNT. So uh, there was a group of students on campus who discovered that there was this really huge television in the sports and recreation center that got off campus cable. And so every Monday night, we'd all gather around that and uh, and we'd switch back and forth between Raw and Nitro. So um, I watched this episode, I'm sure, in that room at that time. And, um, you know, part of part of watching it now that really blew my mind is how much stuff I completely forgot, like completely forgot about that. Like when I see it, I'm like, oh, my God, I remember that. But if you had asked me in a quiz, did any of these things happen? I would have said no. Because I thought that that life was more sane back then than it was. I, I can identify though with, with, with Mike's struggle because I, I do vividly remember uh, in the late nineties, particularly when I was at school, just having to uh, uh, let's just say enter the radio station uh, without permission <laughs> and, uh, and and use the campus cable to get my sting fix. And uh, I, of course, was uh, in middle school, and I had uh, very few people that wanted to talk about this with me. But I was such a big David Arquette fan that I was so happy to see him on TV. Um, so we've established where all of us were uh, at this time of the year 2000. Let's take a look and see what's happening in the news, sort of set the stage uh, before we talk about the episode. Now, the Saturday before this Nitro actually saw one of the biggest stories of the year, uh, a story that can be summed up in two words, Elia and Gonzalez. Mm. The latest chapter in the Gonzalez family drama, the six-year-old son is with his father tonight under military guard at a U.S. Air Force base near Washington. He was seized before dawn by armed federal agents who burst into the home of his Miami relatives and rushed him to a waiting plane. I don't know, like, I was, I was in college in a way where, like, I was, you know, I, I, I was homeless for a while in college. Um, I, I got into a lot of trouble and, and, and spent a lot of my time doing things that weren't going to class. Um, and so a lot of national news just used to completely wash over me back then. Like I just had my interests and my hobbies and my stupid things that I did, um, and was just trying to stay in school, uh, by hair. So 
uh, I would hear about these things and try to make sense of them. Um, but I still I still don't think I understand the full complexity of that case, because I I think I look at it much the same way you did. Like, why wouldn't um, why wouldn't they just let him stay? I never understood really what that was about. Like, I think now in the context of now, it's a lot mm-hmm. more impactful for me and in our current political climate and all of that. But then to me, it was just like shocking and weird. And I didn't give it uh, nearly as, uh, as much thought as I should have. Yeah, I, I think the crazy thing to me, remembering that situation, I vividly remember, you know, the the picture of the uh, gun being pointed at Elliot when he was in the closet, and yeah. uh, and and it just like I didn't understand everything about the story at the time, but I did find it funny that you had conservatives and liberals seemingly switching what their normal positions would be in regards to this story, uh, and and I didn't understand, you know, the the nature between the United States and Cuba fully at that time. But it, I just found it interesting uh, where people kind of planted their flag on, on the case. And so I think, man, it, it's something that's still like you just brought up the name Elian Gonzalez and I'm like, I'm right back there. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's it's one of those stories that I think if social media were as big as it is today as it was back then, it's something that would be more widely remembered and maybe even more talked about to this day. But because it happened kind of before the internet took hold, it's something that, that rarely gets referenced. And, and the, the greatest reference to it though, I, we cannot talk about Elian Gonzalez without uh, mentioning Dave Chappelle's racial draft, uh, which had the great, the, the great line by Angie Martinez, where the uh, Latinos drafted Elian Gonzalez. So the white people wouldn't try to steal him again. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, over on the music charts, uh, it only makes sense for us to take a look at what's going on in the rap scene. And uh, in a perfect tie into WCW, Master P's 504 yes. Boys are on the top of the charts with Wobble Wobble. <laughs> wow. One thing I did do a lot in college was go to uh, fraternity parties that were in tiny apartments. And <laughs> yeah. um, uh, this one fraternity on campus, Iota Phi Theta, was known for clearing all of the um, furniture out of their living room and putting on these parties that would last all night. And what I remember about that song is it was part of this small rotation of No Limit songs that would come on and the first few bars of the beat came on and people would just lose their shit. Um, and uh, yeah, and I'd be drinking, drinking jungle juice. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, it was a bad time. It was a bad time. Yeah, no, no Limit had a season. Like, yeah, I know some of the listeners that might be a bit younger out there might uh, snicker. At, at the thought of, uh, you know, Master P and, and the Hot Boys and the 504 Boys and, and that, that whole crew. Uh, but for a time, like, they were, they were, now was this pre or post Snoop with, with No Limit, Brian? It had to be around the same time. Okay, so this is when Snoop joined, and that, yeah, that was, that, that was like when uh, Hogan joined the NWO. It's like you got the biggest rapper in the world connecting <laughs> with the biggest label in the world, and unfortunately, uh, much like the NWO, it did have a shelf life. Uh, yeah, I'm also guessing the Harris boys never joined in with that with that crew. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, this was around the time where Master P was possibly going to join the the, the Hornets. Uh, Nate, yeah. you know more about sports. Was this roughly around the same time? It sounds about right because th- this was Master yeah. P at his uh, at his apex. Uh, and, right. And yeah, I remember Master P. Yeah, he tried to. Uh, 
I think not only did he try to join the Hornets at this time, but he also uh, signed Ricky Williams to some ridiculous football contract because mm-hmm. uh, he was doing sports uh, agency at the time as well. So, yeah, P, P had his fingers in a lot of pies. What is, what is P up to today? I just saw some uh, some terrible footage of him on Shaq and a Fool in some uh, <laughs> NBA celebrity all-star game just yesterday. My son was watching that, and it was really horrible to remember that this is a guy who at one point <laughs> tried out to be an NBA team, and he could uh, he was missing layups very, very close to the basket. So that's what he's been up to, missing layups. Hey, I know he's, he's still making money, though, because we have a commercial out here in Virginia uh, and I, it may be in other parts of the country as well, but it's uh, Little Romeo, a masterpiece son for uh, ICDC College. And not only not only is <laughs> Little Romeo the spokesperson, but uh, in one of the commercials, Romeo was talking about you know growing up and how important education was. And all of a sudden, cut the uh, you know stage left, and here comes Master P. Hi, I'm Person Miller, Romeo's dad. Education is important, so go to ICDC. So I'm sure he he, he, he got a nice check from the college too. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, now that we know exactly what uh, Master P is up to in the year 2017, let's take a look and see what WCW is up to in the year 2000. While the questions continue about Bret Hart, Nitro is off and running tonight in Rochester, New York. And as you're looking live in the backstage area, Sting and Vampiro are embroiled in a brawl, Scott Hudson. So after a recap of last week, we find Sting and Vampiro brawling backstage. Uh, Sting gets advantage and, of course, turns his back to leave, allowing Vampiro to attack him from behind. Not not a great babyface move there, Nate. And now we come outside in the arena, welcoming you to the Blue Cross Arena, Rochester, New York, for tonight's two hours of WCW Monday Night Raw. Tony promises us that we will see footage of what happened between Hogan and Hart after Nitro ran off the air last week. Terry Funk's music plays, and this brings us to our first match. Uh, this is a, uh, a hardcore title match, uh, and as Funk makes his entrance, Scott Hudson points out that the hardcore title is the only one that escaped the new blood, and that Terry Funk is now wearing that belt proudly. To hammer this point home, Terry Funk decided to leave the belt backstage tonight and does not actually bring it out to, in front of the crowd. <laughs> Now, uh, his opponent for the evening is Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam attacks Funk from behind with a trash can, and the brawling begins. Ernest Miller then runs down, and he attacks Bam Bam with a cookie sheet. Bigelow and Funk make their way into the ring, where Bigelow puts a trash can over Funk's head and hits it with a chair about five times. Cat comes back in, lays out Bigelow with a cartwheel. Uh, Notice I said cartwheel, not a cartwheel kick. He just did a (laughs) cartwheel and grazed Bam Bam in the face. Uh, Terry Funk, uh, his head covered in a trash can, falls on Bigelow and gets the fluke win. So this is how we're booking our hardcore legend. Ernest Miller then comes in after the match and demands that his music be put on and he dances. I, I I was like horrified looking at this. Like, <laughs> like just just thinking about, you know, I know we we call Terry Funk a hardcore legend, but I mean, you know, you got the I Quit match of Ric Flair. Isn't he like a former NWA champion as well? Sure is. My God, what was going through his mind as like people were giving him a run sheet and telling him that he would be like, you know, wrestling in a T-shirt and laying on a guy with a trash can on his head? like to get a pen like I, I just I, I I'm so fascinated by how Terry Funk puts together the legacy of his own career in his own mind see this this is why I like when we have guests on Brian because you know you and I we we are 
watching this stuff every week. And, and right, you know, right. <laughs> I, I have been, you know, this is something that's been making me sad, Mike. It's been making me sad for a while. Like the way that they're treating Terry Funk or the way Terry Funk's allowing himself to be treated. Cause like you said, this dude is, is arguably, you know, one of the NWA greats of all time. And, you know, for him to be used so, you know, carelessly, uh, you know, Brian and I talk all the time, you know, he should be kind of a special attraction. Like you get to see a Terry Funk match maybe once a month. So I, I went through a wave of emotions here, Brian. Like at first I was sad cause Terry Funk was on again, but then by the end of the segment, I was happy because Ernest the Cat Miller was dancing. I, uh, is that really made up for it? I mean, it, it didn't it didn't balance the scales, but you know, it, it helped a little bit. But are you really excited for Ernest Miller and Bam Bam? I mean, I'm, you got to you got to find <laughs> positives wherever you can find it, Brian. Man, and, and and right now, Ernest the Cat Miller is is my ray of sunshine in this cloud. But 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 I'll tell I'll tell you what, and this is this is the kind of stuff I pay attention to. Unfortunately, what other than just my horror at Terry Funk, like the, the other things that jumped out at me that I couldn't let go of was Bam Bam wearing a T-shirt over his unitard or whatever it is that he usually wears, <laughs> and Ernest the Cat Miller out there doing offense in loafers with no socks. <laughs> like, that is incredible to me. Casual attire was the theme of this evening. This was just the beginning. <laughs> There's at least three other matches where was, guys did not wear wrestling attire. <laughs> We then go to the announcers, and they uh, they mention that Hulk Hogan almost murdered Billy Kidman last week before bringing up Bret Hart. Now, uh, thankfully, Mike, you did not see last week's episode, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get you caught up here. So the way that last week's Nitro ended is that Bret Hart came to the ring, swung to hit Hulk Hogan with a chair shot, but they just cut out halfway through the chair shot to make it a mystery. Uh, so they just went they just went cold off the air halfway in the middle of a chair shot. <laughs> So, so that, that's the mystery they're talking about here. Um, the mystery footage from last week then plays, revealing that Hart did, in fact, hit Hogan with a really vicious, unprotected chair shot. The first one of two for Hogan tonight. And they say that Hart will be on Thunder to discuss why he did this. So we're, we're building up to uh, Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan. Spoiler, this match will never happen. Uh, Bret Hart had actually retired uh, in, in April, and I have no idea what Vince Russo thinks he's doing teasing this match because they, they fully thought this match was going to happen. Uh, at, at, uh, I think it was they're, – they're planning for this thing to happen at Great American Bash. Well, this started another through line for me for this show that, that caused me to viscerally remember something from watching these shows at that time, like how they seem to want – seem so determined to set up this huge angle with this generational feud with old people versus young people. And then they constantly have old people beating up other old people <laughs> and old people trying to pretend to be young to hang out with the young people. And it was all very emotionally confusing, like constantly, <laughs> constantly. Like, why is Bret Hart beating up Hulk Hogan if it's supposed to be about new blood and Billy? I don't I, uh, It was so difficult to follow. Um, and it, and so confusing. And at that point, I also noticed that everyone in this crowd, everyone seemed very drunk and very confused. <laughs> well, I mean, it is Rochester, New York. I mean, what yeah. else are you going to be yeah. doing on <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's a good point, though, because we've, we've talked about it before, Brian, like the, the idea on paper of this next generation versus the old guard that that sounds it it could work if you do it right but 
when you are setting up the pieces on this chessboard and you say, okay, this guy's young, this guy's old, this guy's new, this guy's a classic, why is Bam Bam Bigelow, star of Major Pain, associated with the, with the young guys? Like, why is Bam Bam Bigelow in the new blood, Brian Man? Oh, well, he's definitely, if I'm not mistaken, older than Bret Hart. Uh, I think that's a safe assumption. He, I know he's only two years younger than Sting. Because um, that's the thing, like, it's not really, because when you're saying New Blood versus Millionaire's Club, you're not even necessarily new versus old. You're saying rich versus broke. Like, that's okay. kind of what it kind of is coming down here. So I almost feel like maybe when the guys came down, I know, like, on Raw right now, guys come down and they're, uh, their Twitter handle is on their Chiron. Maybe when people come out that are in the young uh, or they're in the new blood, they need to have like their bank statement like listed there to like show to show like how many payoffs are they to being in the Millionaires Club. Hey, that, that, that provides motivation to win matches though. Like if Booker T's one match away from cracking into the Millionaires Club, that, that, that's a great story. That'd be great. See, give you guys the book, man, because because right now they got new blood and Bam Bam Bigelow. He, uh, he had to have. Some of the oldest blood circulating <laughs> in the locker room at that time in, inside of his body. <laughs> so Billy Kidman, uh, fresh off of a near-death experience, comes out. Uh, <laughs> and you can tell he was almost murdered last week because his ribs are taped. That's all you need. Uh, Kidman says that Hogan realized that he is more of a man than Hogan can handle. So that's why Hogan tried to kill him with a Hummer last week. Tonight, though, Billy wants Hogan to bring the yellow and he'll supply the red. Hogan's blood. Backstage... Bischoff, Jarrett, and Kimberly are shown arriving at the building. We then go to Russo's office where Norman Smiley begs Vince for a shot at Terry Funk. Norman, there, there, there ain't no Vince, way, man. Vince, I'm pleading with you. Please, just you give me... You can't beat I Funk. Can be, I can beat... I was hardcore champion once. I can do it again. Just give me one chance. That's all I'm asking. Uh, all right. Please. Russo tells Norman that if he can get a partner... They can face Terry Funk at Slamboree. So Russo has no faith in Norman for a one-on-one match. He's going to give him a handicap match at Slamboree. We go back out to the arena where Jeff Jarrett, Kimberly, and Eric Bischoff come out to the ring. Making his Nitro ringside return is David Arquette wearing a Shepard Fairey Obey t-shirt. He was kind of ahead of the curve here. I was surprised by this. I was taken aback. Hey, I, 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 this might surprise some people out there, but... Uh... For the purposes of just this episode, I can't speak for what we've got in the weeks ahead, Brian, but just for this episode, I didn't hate uh, David Arquette. I'm, I was actually cool with him. I, I wasn't mad at him either, but the very first thing I noticed is that for him to be an actor, like a professional actor, he was doing a very bad job of pretending to be a wrestling fan. Like <laughs> His booing was so, like, he, it was so bad, it was like, boo! it was was really horrible it was really horrible so uh tony calls uh ready to rumble a warner brothers hit which i'm sure warner brothers would dispute jared says that how much money real quick brian how much money did that uh, movie lose i think by this point the movie has lost 18 million it only cost uh like 25 to make and that's actually (laughs) the reason why they brought in david arquette they're hoping that by having david arquette agreeing to be on tv for a couple weeks and to appear at the pay-per-view it would help kind of goose up the box office for this thing so jared says at slambury ddp can star in a new movie called jeff jarrett kicks ddp's ass Um, I don't think that'll be released uh, domestically. (laughs) Eric Bischoff says that Kim has the last present she'll ever give DDP. This brings out Paige, who wants to know why Kim is with these two jag-offs. Kim (laughs) says that she's in the driver's seat for the first time, and she wants a divorce. 
DDP thinks they can work this out, but Kimberly doesn't want to. Kimberly tells Paige that he's embarrassing himself, begging like this. So DDP calls her a stupid bitch. So he gave up really fast on reconciling this relationship. (laughs) DDP says he'll sign the paper after he shoves it down Bischoff's throat. Jeff Jarrett sneaks up and lays out DDP. Watch out from behind! That's what he gets for laying his hands on David Arzette! Piss-poor wrestling fan David Arquette has seen too much. He runs into the ring and takes down Bischoff with the shittiest ground and pound. Oh, this my side God. <laughs> like, somehow Bischoff winds up on his stomach. That was real bad. Canyon then hits the ring and takes out Jarrett. Bischoff powders to the floor and challenges Arquette to a match tonight. David Arquette, who is a trained actor who is paid money to say things on television, says that he will 1-800-KICK-BISCHOFF'S-BUTT. <laughs> Arquette then adds the stip that if he pins Eric tonight, then DDP gets a world title shot later in the show. Bischoff agrees while Jarrett tries to grab the mic away. So there we go. Uh, we have the possibility not only is a Hollywood star having an unadvertised match tonight, but you might also get an unadvertised steel cage world title match on this show. Quite a bit has happened here, almost to the extent that I would think you'd want to start the show with this and not whatever the fuck that Terry Funk thing was. <laughs> when I think back to this era of WCW, one thing that I always that, that always echoes in my mind is how hard they were pushing Jeff Jarrett as a top guy and how it never really ever, ever seemed to work. And... To me, like, that's always fascinating. Like, I, I never really could understand why it didn't work. But when I was watching this episode, it finally occurred to me. And, it, and I was thinking about, like, you know, Ric Flair looked like a million dollars as champion. And Jeff Jarrett, he looks like an old lifeguard. Like, he looks like, <laughs> he looks like a professional, like a pool cleaner. You know what I mean? Like, th- there's just, there was... There was no way anybody was going to buy him just because he just he looked so like mediocre. You know what I mean? Like, I know he, this, it's, this is coming off of his transition in WWF where he cut his hair and it don't piss me off. And I think like for a couple weeks over there with WWF's production value, that looked like something. By the time he brought that look over to WCW, he just looked like somebody's stepdad at that point, man. There, 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 was, nothing, there was nothing they could do. Yeah, no, he definitely looks like your mom's new boyfriend that you're yeah, really hate with those yes. fucking yellow sunglasses. <laughs> yes, bleach blonde thinning hair. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, look here, slap nuts. Me and Cindy are going to the Sizzler, so we don't want no trouble. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, again, like I've, I've always been of the opinion that like Jeff Jarrett is a solid B all across the board. Like he's he's not great but he's not terrible like he's serviceable at everything but i think a lot of times the issue with jared is he's put in positions that the fans don't accept him in you know he's put in too often uh we see this later in tna a lot a lot of times uh you know he's, he's the top guy when really maybe he should be the guy next to the top guy uh and, and so you've also got a situation where He's the world champion, and he felt, in this segment at least, like the fourth most important person in the ring. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, he's he's a really good utility player. And I think the first couple weeks of the show where we saw him in the NWO 2000 when he was just U.S. champion, I think he was, like, really slotted in the right place. But 
yeah, I mean, you look at every time he's been a top guy, it's never been because the fans were clamoring for it or it was never an, or, an organic situation. I mean, even last week, the reason he's the champion is because he and Vince Russo want to say fuck you to Jim Ross. And obviously in TNA, he's the guy writing the check, so that's why he's the top guy. It never felt organic, the reason why he would be slotted where he was. Where he was in W... Uh, I mean, I think the best use of him his entire career was when he was in WWF and that whole misogynistic storyline with China. Like, that worked really yeah. well, and I think that was the best understanding of that character. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I don't think it ever got any better than that, and God, did they really try hard to get that slap nuts thing over, man, and it just <laughs> landed dead every time. T- to be fair, there's one person it did not land dead with, and that was a uh, a 14-year-old Brian man who owned <laughs> the slap nuts t-shirt. And, uh... You're the reason! And- I'm the reason, and I also I won't reveal, but there there is a nitro later in this year where uh, I was there in the fourth row, and I'm on camera the entire time, and I'm wearing a Slapnuts t-shirt, and I maybe brought a Slapnuts sign, but we're gonna let you guys know what that is when we get to that episode. Please please remind me when you guys get there. I would I would love to love to see that one. <laughs> I, I will do. I'm gonna circle it on on Twitter, but that's not for for a while down the road. Uh, from one future world champion to another, uh, Vince Russo is cornered in his office by Chronic. Chronic wants their tag title shot tonight. Russo will give it to them if they do him a favor first. We then go to Bischoff's office, where Jeff Jarrett is yelling at Eric for putting his title on the line. I'm not out of my mind. Look, it's David Arquette. Just chill. Our second match of the night is cruiserweight champion Chris Candido and Tammy Sitch taking on the artist and Paisley. Uh, Tammy, wrapped in a black robe, asks the crowd if they missed her. Tammy says it's time for the WCW to bring in a woman who could titillate the audience and that she's going to show the men what they want. Tammy then drops her robe, revealing the most PG outfit I have ever seen Tammy Sitch wear. Right. It is, it's like a modest miniskirt and a white tank top. I, she's, she's clearly dressed for a wrestling match, so why do they do all of this? Uh, this felt like two segments that were really uh, in competition with each other here. Uh, the thing that got me even more than the anticlimactic reveal of her outfit was like the, the Cruella DeVille voice she was trying to put on. Yeah. Hey, hey, boys! Guess who's back? Like, no, I, I, I'm not interested. Yeah, see, and that's that's the kind of thing that at that time I would have thought that she was like when I was first watching it in 2000. I would have thought she was trying to put on a sexy voice, and now I'm seeing, oh, this is like she just took too many pills. Like, <laughs> clearly, she's just very drunk and high. And her performance in this match would would back up that that assessment. <laughs> um, so then the artist and Paisley. Uh, make their way out, and, and as they're making their entrance, Scott Hudson informs us that Paisley has never wrestled before in her life. We have been warned. This is her. Two people had their first matches on this show tonight. Uh, <laughs> Artist and Candido then brawl around the ring while the women smartly just shoot each other looks and then head to the apron. Artist and Candido then both knock each other down, so Paisley and Sitch get in the ring, tease a face-off before both women just go for a pinfall. The ref counts this despite the fact that neither of them were tagged in, so they're not legal. They're just, they just wandered into the match. Candido and the artist both kick out, allowing the women to attempt a cat fight. First time I've seen a cat fight not actually work. The ref separates them, and Tammy hits a cross body block to the outside onto Candido and Taff Cappy. I don't even, like, this wasn't, this wasn't impressive. It, it looked as though she just tripped and fell uh, accidentally on these two men. Uh, we are then treated 
to a clothesline for the ages. Nate, the artist Tammy and Paisley are all standing perfectly in a row when Chris goes to clothesline the artist. Now, of course, the artist and Tammy, in perfect synchronicity, both duck at the exact same time, which causes Candido to instead clothesline Paisley. It looked absolutely ridiculous. Candido and the artist then brawl the outside, allowing Tammy to grind on Paisley for the pin. Uh, this was well, well, here's, so here's fucking... Question, Brian. Here's yeah. a question. What looked worse, that clothesline or the bump earlier in the match where uh, Candido and the artist knocked heads and Candido, instead of falling forward or falling backwards, staggered forward and then twisted and fell backwards? Yeah, it's... I don't, I, I'm honestly wondering here, who had a worse ground and pound was it the cat fight here, or was it Arquette in the previous segment? <laughs> a question because it, it gets a real asked. debate. I'm just this. The thing that made me so happy uh, about the, the the one thing that made me happy about this match is that I'm just so thankful they don't do this kind of match anymore. I'm so glad they threw this out here because yeah, you can say the whole Lucha Underground thing where you have competent female workers working with competent male workers but here it was just like oh just throw the the pretty girl in there to to take a bump from a guy i'm so glad these sort of things have sort of gone by the wayside yeah i you know what i forgot that sunny was even there i really did like i i that's, that's another that's a bet i would have lost if somebody had to ask i don't think she remembers either though yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then paisley is, is charmel yeah is yeah, that, correct. Yeah, right. So yeah, I, I was. Those were the things I was paying attention to, having completely forgotten that Sunny was ever in WCW, and um, forgetting that Charmel began her wrestling career as Paisley. Like Brian, this this is a match tailor made for me because we've talked in previous weeks how big a fan I was of Chris Candido, primarily with his ECW stuff, and uh, you know how much I liked the artist formerly known as Prince Ikea. And so you think putting these two in a match would uh would be something that would be a highlight of the episode but then you add in the unnecessary ingredients of uh Tammy Sitch and uh Paisley and it's it's just not good like it it didn't flow it it was another match that was it was it was too short to be anything but longer than it needed to be which is not a good place to be I I'm just I want to let you guys know that I am having uh uh, a slow motion aneurysm right now because it has only now just occurred to me after having uh, Nate just heard you say that, and I've remembered now that the artist used to be Prince <laughs> Iakea. <laughs> That's where the name comes from. Yeah, yeah, no, that is hurting me so bad right now. <laughs> remembering that because I definitely blocked it out of my mind. Well, well, pulling the curtain back a little bit. Uh, when I first reached out to you, Mike, about coming on the show, your one request was that you wanted you wanted a show with the maestro. And I unfortunately had to I'll let you know that. the maestro's time is done. Yeah. But there was a perfectly fine musical substitute. What were your thoughts on the artist's gimmick? Uh, did you find that he was uh, doing justice to the late uh, Prince? <laughs> I don't remember it at all. And even now, when, when it was... When I was looking at the episode, like like I said, I was confused that Sonny was there and and trying to remember like what what Paisley looked like or or Charmel and um and and trying to remember who that person was. and and so the prince thing barely even registered with me like and and I think in thinking about it I just completely blocked it out of my mind until right this moment and to to be fair he really didn't play up the prince 
mannerisms as much this match as we've seen him in previous weeks where he's come out with the whole fake purple rain song and the 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 hat and the you know the 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 lace and, and all that good stuff he he was a, he was a much more subdued prince Iakea this week yeah, he didn't try to like kiss his finger and rub it on Candido's <laughs> chest, which was before the only thing he did. Um, so this segment actually is not over. Uh, we go backstage where uh, Sting is still searching for Vampiro, and he makes his way out to the ring. Sting's music plays, and despite this, Candido keeps his back to the stage. So Candido comes in and just buries the entire cruiserweight division by hitting him with a scorpion death drop, making him like a total fool. Sting gets the mic and demands a match with Vampiro tonight. Not just any match. Sting wants a first blood match. So... Quite the way to build up your straight one-on-one match at Slamboree. And not just that, this is the second Slamboree match that we're just giving away tonight on the show. I liked it. I, I, I like this, Brian, man. I mean, you're not going to get me to go on record here and say anything bad about that man called Sting. Uh, he, he is a national treasure. Uh, the Scorpion death, lo- death Drop is a thing of beauty. And uh, I think you know we should all take a moment to reflect on uh, this, this man's greatness. Is he a national treasure, or is he like... I feel like he's more of a Nashville treasure, if I had to say. <laughs> it's real, real shady, Brian, man. It's real, real like, the, this whole dynamic, uh, you know, uh, Mike, I know you're, you're, you're a real busy man, but how would you like to uh, fill a spot? We might have an opening up here on the satellite coming up. <laughs> don't, don't walk by any air vents on your way home, Brian. <laughs> okay, here, here. Let's get to the end of the show and watch you defend everything this man does on this episode. Okay, yeah, that's, that's tall order. Tall order. Right so backstage, DDP and Canyon are giving Arquette a pep talk. Come on. Get up! I wanted to wrestle, man. You want tonight? I'm going to kill him. Yeah. I'm going to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. Next up is Chronic's favorite of Vince Russo, a match against Lex Luger and Ric Flair. Ric Flair could not even be bothered to wear his wrestling gear for this match. He comes out in street clothes. It is never addressed. The announcers never excuse why this has occurred. I, I just, Ric Flair just showed up to work and said, fuck it, and just was not going <laughs> to participate in the basic, the basic parts of his job. Like, if this had been addressed, if he had cut a promo. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, you know, you, had a, you could just, like, knowing... What the kind of things we all know about wrestling and locker rooms and booking and inmates running the asylum and all that that we know right now, you can just so clearly see how in complete disarray everything was at that time. And 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 it just everything look everything on this show looked like the result of an argument and somebody just being like, "F it, I'll do it," and then just storming <laughs> out to the ring. Which is crazy because this is supposed to be in the aftermath of the solution, which was the the reboot two weeks ago and so yeah to already start to see the uh the the cracks forming on this product it, it, it's kind of funny and and sad at the same time but what's so weird is that there's a lot of people who are going to wrestle in their street clothes on this episode but with rick flair it's never addressed it's never explained fucking david arquette who is just a fan in the audience actually brought a change of clothes for his match later on tonight <laughs> what, what was it was just maybe if, if lex had also been in street clothes it would have made sense but whatever so all four men brawl when the bell rings miss hancock then comes out uh right away to watch the match never mentioned again we never cut to her a second time we're just establishing that miss hancock was watching this uh an immobile luger clotheslines clark over the top Buff Bagwell then gets on the apron with a bat and the bell rings. However, the match continues. This was just the timekeeper with an itchy finger, I guess. 
Elizabeth grabs the belt from Bagwell, and Luger attacks Buff. With the ref distracted, Shane Douglas runs in and hits Flair with a bat. Chronic then lays out Flair with a double choke slam for the win. So I guess Flair was pissed he was jobbing to Chronic tonight. Buff and Douglas then beat down Team Package after the match while Chronic watches on. Chronic then attacks Buff and Douglas, and this was a really shitty fucking segment there. This was <laughs> this was so fucking bad. This was reminiscent of some of those really bad uh, uh, shows from back in January, Nate, because not only were these four unmotivated performers, but we're also making it, we're, we're overloading it with booking that clearly hasn't been run through earlier buff was just suddenly on the apron the bell's ringing douglas is there this was this was just a this was a mess yeah it's i think unmotivated is, is a key word here because not that this was great to begin with what what they had to do but i think there was a way maybe to salvage it if the performers had some joy or had some enthusiasm about it but We've talked about Luger in 2000 before on the show. And at this time, Lex is not what he was in 89. Uh, quite frankly, he's not what he was in 99. <laughs> like that, <laughs> that one year of, of, of wearing town Luger has, has, has uh, rendered him immobile, as you said. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I, I know I said uh, a week or two ago that I was a big fan of uh, Shane Douglas. Uh, but I think the more I see Shane in WCW in the year 2000, I think like 99% of my Shane Douglas fandom is probably from ECW and uh, not uh, so much with this. Our first Mean Gene appearance of the night, he is uh, interviewing Vampiro in some sort of secret lair, it seems. <laughs> Vamp accepts Sting's challenge because he wants to make him bleed like a bitch. I don't know specifically how bitches bleed, but whatever. <laughs> Vampiro says he's a little bit freaky and that he's about to have a panic attack. Wait a minute, but that that, that suddenly explains the uh the the giant bucket of whale menstruation that we saw later <laughs> in the show. He just explained it. Now it makes sense. How no well we'll get into it at the end, but like how convenient that they had this bucket above the ring and that Sting because this was Sting's idea. This matches Sting's idea. <laughs> Keep that in mind. <laughs> Elsewhere, Bischoff yells at Kidman for booking himself in a match with Hogan. Mean Gene is seen once again interviewing Bischoff with Mike Awesome, Kidman, and Kimberly. Eric Bischoff says that Mike Awesome will be the protection for Kidman tonight, so Hogan has to find himself a tag partner. Bischoff adds that he will be the special guest referee for Hogan versus Kidman at Slambury. So it's now a handicapped tag match they were getting ready for. So as soon as that segment ends, Mike Awesome makes his entrance. So I guess Hogan was given 15 seconds to find himself a tag partner. Billy Kidman then comes out in a Hulkster shirt, mocking Hogan's poses. This brings out Hulk Hogan in his F-U-N-B vest. Yo, yes. that vest is so offensive to me. And I and that's another thing that I remember <laughs> seeing at that time that I blocked out of my mind. But, like, him trying to do, like, the Austin thing with the black vest yeah. and all. Like, that is so – that offends me on so many levels. <laughs> Like, just, God, Hogan, like, just let somebody else do something once. Like, Jesus Christ. The sad thing is that that's not the most offensive thing Terry Belay has done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's get ready to rumble! Hogan. Oh, 
So it is time for the Hogan Bump Challenge. Now, uh, Mike, are you aware of the Hogan Bump Challenge? No, and I'm about to, I'm about to uh, learn something I didn't want to know, I'm sure. <laughs> so the Hogan Bump Challenge is something we do every uh, week on the show when Hulk Hogan has a match. We take wagers on how many bumps we think professional wrestler Hulk Hogan will manage to take in <laughs> a given match. Uh, he rarely goes above two or three, but this ah. is a handicap match. Uh, what what do we think? Uh, Mike, we'll let you go first. Uh, what's your wager? How many bumps do you think Hulk Hogan takes in this match? Uh, five. Ooh. You're going to go five? Yeah. Kind of high, but he does have two opponents. One's a big guy. What do you think, Nate? I'll say that that might be a rookie mistake for brother Mike. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's 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 understandable though because you would think being a professional wrestler taking a bump is part of your job. Uh, but uh, I'm gonna go. It is a handicap match, and Mike Awesome is a big dude, and he's kind of related to Hogan as we learned last week. Uh, so I'm gonna go with three bumps. Okay, I think three, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it safe. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go four. I'll go in the middle. Why not? Hogan slides under the bottom rope and is met with stomps from Awesome and Kidman, which is a real clever way for Hogan to get on the mat without taking a bump. (laughs) Hulkster quickly recovers and rams Kidman and Awesome's heads together. Hulkamania then runs wild as he takes off his belt and whips Awesome with it. Hogan, feeling the momentum of the moment, actually performs a wrestling move hitting a belly-to-back suplex on Awesome, which, for the purpose of the HBC is a bump. So, already, we're up on the board. All right. Kidman hides on the floor while Hogan chokes Mike Awesome with his weight belt. Remember, he is the babyface. Awesome gets the belt away from Hogan and punches Hogan into the corner, but Hogan kicks out uh, by... uh, But Hogan kicks Awesome right in the balls. Hogan turns to Kidman, which allows Awesome to then push him into the corner. Kidman runs in and whips Hogan with the belt. Awesome punches Hogan, who takes a straight-up bump. Two bumps, guys, and he, he bumped off of just a right hand. Like, this was incredible. Could this mean that Hogan is actually about to put some heat on these younger opponents? Nope. Hogan <laughs> is quickly back to his feet, taking out both men with a double clothesline. Uh, Awesome fights back and punches Hogan, who takes another bump. Nate, this is unheard of. We're at three bumps, two of which were just from a closed fist. This is incredible. Yeah, he's got his working boots on tonight. This this must have been the secret sauce. A right hand from Mike Awesome all this time. That's what he was waiting for. So, babyface Hogan pokes Awesome in the eye and follows up with a back rake. Hogan throws Awesome to the floor and they brawl around the ring. Kidman then hits Hogan with an insanely vicious, unprotected chair shot. He just turns right into it, and now Hogan is bleeding from the forehead. So Hogan, uh, so Kidman brings him back into the ring and is whipping him again with the belt. Hogan takes this opportunity to drop to one knee and roll to his back, so it's not technically a bump. Awesome then brings in a table to the ring. He power bombs him through this table, a fourth <laughs> bump for Iron Man Hulk Hogan. Backstage, Kevin Nash shows up to work 30 minutes late, walks through the curtain, and starts watching this match on a monitor. Back in the ring, Awesome sets Hogan up on another table, which Kidman goes off the top for. It splashes Hogan through the table, a fifth and final bump. Wow. (laughs) The WCW gods were shining on you here. Five bumps unheard of, and you are our winner. What do I win? You win bragging rights. You got. You, you first have to explain to people what this thing is, and then oh, you can okay. tell me one. <laughs> fair, very fair. So Kidman tears off his Hulk Hogan shirt and cups the ear. He's doing the whole thing, and for the first and maybe last time, Kidman has actually gotten some heat on Hogan in this feud. The Wolfpack music then hits, and 
Kevin Nash strolls to the ring at a leisurely pace. This this might be the first time I've seen a wrestler do a jog in. He was in no hurry to get to the ring. Nash hits Kidman and Austin with some knees and some punches until Tori comes in and low blows him from behind. This allows Austin and Kidman to beat down on Big Sexy to finish the segment. Um, despite all the Hogan grandstanding off the top, uh, I actually thought this was a pretty effective segment towards the end. They recovered, and I thought that, uh, you know, it had to be two-on-one, and Kidman still looks like, you know, a, a, a toddler in all of this. But at least that they got some heat uh, on Hogan. Yeah, and you know, it it I thought it was pretty effective too in in terms of Hogan um Hogan Hogan making those guys look good. I mean, you know, uh they had to team up to do it, but then, you know, he actually did end up selling for them a lot, you know. Um so, you know, the uh absurdness of of his vest aside, um I did <laughs> think that was a pretty good performance. Yeah, I I agree, man. I think my only issue with this whole thing is that, and I think we talked about it last week, Brian, that if the program were Mike Awesome versus Hulk Hogan, I think it might have been a little bit more believable, but because Hogan had to shoot his mouth off, they were kind of forced into this Billy Kidman feud that doesn't make sense on any level. When I was actually at the end of this, my first thought was, man, you know, I got to give it up to Kevin Nash. I mean, Kevin Nash let these guys get some heat on him, but and he didn't have to beat them down in the beginning. He didn't have to get his he didn't have to get his in the beginning like Hogan did. Mm. And I was like, no, fucking Nash was just doing what's the least amount of work I can do. Yeah, like, I, I don't want to do <laughs> offense. I, I, I no one needs to bump for me. I will show up, lay down and you can hit my knee with a chair and uh Good on Nash, I guess. I, I, you know, I really, I, I was taken aback by the size of the pop that Nash got, though. I thought that was like a pretty, a pretty, a pretty sizable reaction from the crowd. It, 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 again, it was Rochester, and they were drunk and confused. But I did think it was a, it was a pretty solid reaction. Uh, I mean, further exposing uh, where my tastes were in the year 2000, I was a massive Kevin Nash fan as well. <laughs> I was a fan of Smart Alex. Smart Alex were like that was my my bread and butter at the time. So you're just running around Georgia with your uh, FUBU gear on? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Backstage, Bischoff is shown walking to the ring accompanied by Jared and Kimberly. Elsewhere, Arquette is shown walking to the ring with DDP. It's coming up next. Don't go away. David Arquette and Eric Bischoff will do battle. You're going to scream in the lurch. Bischoff comes out accompanied by Kimberly and world champion Jeff Jarrett. David Arquette, in skinny black pleather, makes his way out with DDP and totally misses the cue for his pyro. And he just seems so sad by it. Like, the pyro goes up, he's like, fuck, I had something in my mind for that. The bell rings, and the announcers just instantly put over Eric Bischoff's kickboxing experience. Bischoff gets the early advantage with plenty of kicks on Arquette, as you would expect. Arquette then comes back with a big spear on Bischoff. Arquette forgets what wrestling company he's in, though, and does The Worm, thinking he's in WWF, (laughs) and landing an elbow on Bischoff. Arquette goes for a pin, but Jarrett pulls out the ref at two. DDP tries to take out Jarrett, but hits the ref by mistake. Jarrett then lays out DDP with the title. Jarrett gets in the ring with a guitar, which distracts Arquette long enough for Bischoff to hit him uh, with a low blow. Bischoff... Holds Arquette for the guitar shot, but wouldn't you know it, Arquette ducks out of the way, and Eric takes the guitar shot instead. What What was the plan here? <laughs> what could have possibly happened? There was no way for Eric to not at least get some blowback from this guitar <laughs> shot to the head. 
It's a calculated risk, Brian, man. You know, sometimes you, <laughs> you, you figure Eric Bischoff is nothing if not a tactician. And, and I must say, while, while this match was nothing, uh, you know, your guilty shame is, is loving Jeff Jarrett and, and Kevin Nash <laughs> in the year 2000. I got to say, I was always a fan of Eric Bischoff Karate Man. I kind of was, too. I kind of was, too. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's unfortunate for, for as much skills as he had, you know, but we get it. When your opponent is as intimidating as Hollywood's David Arquette, uh, <laughs> sometimes you got to call in the big guns with the exploding guitars, and, and you know, bad things happen. So uh, Canyon then runs into the ring, and he takes out Jarrett. Arquette then rolls over Bischoff and pins him. So Jeff Jarrett must now defend his title against DDP in a cage in roughly 20 minutes from now. And as Arquette celebrates, the lights flicker and Sting is shown in the ring in the rafters. I have no fucking idea why. We know Sting's there. He's not going to interfere in this match. I don't know why this part had to happen. But what did we think of... The first match from David Arquette, you know, we complain about WWE booking, but at least uh, he's going to be getting a world title shot in two days, coming off of a win. So that's that's something. <laughs> oh boy. I mean, a shout out to uh, David Arquette, uh, former Laces fighting unicorn. Uh, went to the, <laughs> went to the uh, same high school as my uh, Kings of Sport co-host, Marcus Vanderberg, so there's that. Uh, my, my only issue with this, Brian, is... If we were going to do the thing with uh, Jarrett and DDP, and I know you got a pay-per-view coming up, but wouldn't it make more sense if you're trying to get more eyeballs? Why not say if Arquette beats Bischoff, then next week Jarrett has to defend, so at least you get a week worth of build instead of just 20 minutes? How about it? Oh, I would be curious. Uh, as far as I'm aware, they did not get the idea to put the title on Arquette until the next day. Wow. So that was not the plan yet. So I think their plan might have been to actually just let DDP ride with this thing until the pay-per-view. Which I guess that's the thing. If, if you're going to do the title change, it's weird to do the title change on the go-home show for right. the rematch, I guess. So maybe that's I guess that's the thinking behind that's it. so strange. Backstage, Canyon is pouring champagne on David Arquette as Tylene Buck holds a microphone <laughs> and attempts to conduct an interview. Uh... She, however, is getting too close, and Arquette reminds her that he is a married man. <laughs> this wasn't like him playing it for a joke. You can see that he, he legitimately felt uncomfortable with this physical contact. He's like, yo, my Ty wife is watching this, man. <laughs> <laughs> His wife was not watching this. There's no chance. Fair point, fair point. David, David Arquette, congratulations on beating Harry Bischoff tonight. Thanks. Oh, you did awesome. The worst DDP. But wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Here's a question before before we go on further, because I saw this and, of course, this was also horrifying. But I assumed that during this time, Tylene Buck was doing uh, interviews with no clothes on. It, was that not something that was happening regularly or did they just did they just decide to do this? Yeah, this was the first time we've seen her show up Get out of here. Are you serious? as an announcer? She, she she showed up in the beginning of the year as one of the NWO's biddies, and then she was like one of Scott Steiner's <laughs> freaks. But this is the first time they put a microphone in her hand and, and told her to talk. Here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so this is that, was the introduction of her as a broadcaster. That That's the thing that stuck out to me, too. Like, I was like, why? why where's Mean Gene? And when, why is she back here conducting interviews? Like, we haven't seen her. Like, we've seen Lee Marshall. We've seen Scott Hudson. We've seen the various WCW announced team. But we've never seen this woman with the microphone. Was all of, Is all of this stuff Vince Russo's fault? Like <laughs> a lot of it, yeah, yeah, I'd say wow. so. And uh, wow, I mean, 
you know, we're in a, we're in such an interesting age just because like uh, you know, Pritchard gets taken to task every week by his co-host about all the ridiculous things that happened on television under his watch. But it's like I don't even like Vince Russo. He shouldn't have the authority to even talk about wrestling. Like he shouldn't. Like like this. The the things that are going on without any regard for like the psychological state of the viewer is just incredible to me. Absolutely incredible. I mean, he's a one trick yeah. pony. Wouldn't wouldn't you say, bro? He's a he's a one trick pony, and that trick only worked in one place. Hmm. Well, I think he does have some initial kernels of interesting ideas and in wwe vince was able to flesh those out and i think he can come up with some strong characters but when it comes to booking an overall show and just just the the smallness of even pacing is a big issue for him and understanding how to how to pace things out so that the audience can actually digest it and just executing an idea i think a lot of his initial ideas are fine but they never no one else gets brought in to collaborate on them or as we saw with that that chronic you know lex luger uh, mess they clearly didn't run that thing ahead of time. I think that his real failing is in the execution of things. I see. Tylene asks uh, where DDP is, and Arquette says he's getting ready for his title defense. Uh, I mean, what can you say? I guess Arquette's a casual fan. He hasn't been keeping up with the product lately. <laughs> Elsewhere, Eric Bischoff is then interviewed by the total polar opposite of Tylene <laughs> Buck, Gene Okerlund. <laughs> Okerlin attempts to get a word in as Jeff Jarrett yells at Bischoff, but the champ says he doesn't have to answer any questions. Bischoff assures Jeff that he has a backup plan and blames his loss on Jarrett's guitar shot. U.S. champ Scott Steiner then comes out for the very first time to his brand new Siren theme song, Nate, where this yes. is this is a, a, a new day. He has ditched the Steinerized theme song, and we now have the Siren theme he is now known for. Yeah, it's, it's bittersweet because, uh, I mean... While it is good to have the more familiar Big Papa Pump theme song playing, I do miss the story of the brothers Rick and Scott. Mm. So Steiner is preceded by two of his freaks who hold the U.S. title. As Scott comes to the ring, we get a recap of Booker T's interference in last week's main event. The Booty Daddy was, um, he was in true form here, guys. I, uh, I love that. I love that entire uh, pig meat Markham Dolomite soliloquy like that I, I thought that was absolutely amazing i'm so there for that every time so uh he starts off by bragging about an orgy he had last night at club caligula in new york and uh i i i googled this establishment guys and it is still open oh, so if you're ever at astoria and you want to know where scott steiner fucks uh, go to club caligula <laughs> Steiner says the other reason he was in New York was to find Booker T's jive ass, yeah. which certainly is not the most racist thing we've heard on Nitro this year, but it's still not great. It's not it? even the most racist thing he says in the show. <laughs> <laughs> Booker comes out uh, in head-to-toe black leather. Uh, he looked like the Samuel L. Jackson shaft, which was about to come out in a month. So uh, who knows? Maybe this was branded advertising for, for shaft about to hit theaters. Oh, oh, see that now? See, stick a pin in that because, you know, we talk pop culture <laughs> off the top of the show, Brian. So when that shaft movie debuts, I, I want to make sure we discuss it because I got like a good 10, 15 minutes on the character of Peoples Hernandez. So Booker says last week was business, not personal. Steiner just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
Booker then takes off his jacket, gets in the ring, and says that if we can't get along, then they can get it on. Steiner's freaks move towards Booker, and he warns them that once they go black, they'll never go back. Medeja slaps Booker, who responds by wrapping his hand around her throat, a popular babyface move in the year 2000. This is two back-to-back shows where the babyface has threatened to choke a woman out. Really? Steiner, yep, Hogan did it last week to Tori Wilson. Steiner then attacks Booker, and a brawl ensues through the commercial break before security separates them. Uh, I didn't put it in my notes because I didn't want to bring it up, but um, Steiner was repeatedly calling Booker boy as yes, he was beating him up in the corner, really which is uh, raises some red flags. Yeah, I don't know if he was being racist or if he was just, you know, providing material that Conor McGregor would pick up on 17 years later. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, all that aside, though, I, I thought this was a decent segment. Like, I, I like... Uh, Steiner's intensity with his promo. I, li- I like Booker. We talked about it last week, how Booker's playing this character that feels like he's been drafted into the new blood and he doesn't really want to be there, but, you know, he's got to, you know, get along to go along, go along to get along. Uh, and I also like threats that also can be used as pickup lines. You're like, hey, girl, <laughs> if we can't get along, I guess we got to get it on. Wow. That sounds like such a, 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 a unhealthy relationship. <laughs> but no i gotta agree i think this was probably the best segment on the show just front to back um i thought everyone played their part well and when booker actually got physical he was i forgot how smooth this guy was like yeah. everything worked and and up till this point of the show like he is leaps and bounds ahead and obviously this time uh when the show first premiered i i wasn't as aware of what made a good wrestler and things like this. So when Booker T wins the title in a couple of months, it came out of nowhere for me. I, I, it, I didn't understand it. But going back now and watching this, I totally see how if you're in the back and you knew how held down this guy was, that, yeah, this guy has world champion uh, written all over him. Uh, Mike, what, what were your thoughts on, on Booker T in the year 2000 before he got the big push? Well, uh, what I, what I, another thing that I remember from that time, like in, in all of my memories of that are really vague, but um, – Two things that that I do remember clearly was like at that time, it seemed like the last two real stars they had on WCW um, was Booker T and Steiner. Um, I felt like they were they were the two left kind of in the strongest place when everything else was a mess. Like those two characters seemed to be uh, interesting or, or growing an interest in becoming like real single stars when everything else is falling apart. Yeah, they, these two obviously would end up uh, on the last Nitro right. fight over the world title. So it's interesting to see two rising stars, and you, it's rare you get to see this at WCW, two rising stars that you know actually would end up progressing to the main event and uh, and carry this show in some of, some of the leaner years we have to look forward to. Backstage, Buff Bagwell and Shane Douglas are leaving the building when Vince Russo cuts them off and tells them they actually have to go wrestle another match tonight. Buff and Douglas object, but Russo says that it's not their choice and that this was the deal that he made. Chronic makes their second entrance of the night, this time for their tag title shot. Taking a pointer from Ric Flair, Shane and Buff wrestle in their street clothes. Chronic dominate early with Clark and Shane, the legal men. Vince Russo, who accompanied the tag champs, gets on commentary for this match. This is maybe the first thing all night that actually resembles a wrestling match, so of course a boring chant breaks out. Both Shane and Clark make tags to a very lukewarm reaction. Adams and Clark then grab Shane for a high time, but Buff throws the ref over the top rope. 
Hudson calls this move bullshit, and everyone at the booth freaks out because you're not allowed to use that word on broadcast television. That's bullshit, Mark. He just tossed hey, the hey, what just The high time is then hit on Buff. This causes Russo to leave the announce table, and he jumps into the ring. Vince hits Adams with the baseball bat to break up a pin. Clark grabs him from behind, sets up a pump handle slam, but Douglas gets the bat, and he hits Clark with it. At this point, the ref is back in the ring, and he calls for a DQ, but Russo instead takes him out with the bat. Buff pins Adams, and Russo counts the three. The bell rings, and Buff's music plays, so I guess we're calling this an actual finish. Uh, as convoluted as it got in the end once Russo got in the ring, up until this point in the show, this was easily the best match so far. We are dealing with real low, real, real low bar here, man. This is- <laughs> uh, I, and I just love, like, I just love that out of all of the announcers in the company, like, that you would think might slip up and uh, cuss on, on national TV. Mild man that Scott Hudson is not the guy I put my money. <laughs> Last <on>. guy. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I love Scott Hudson, Hudson getting emotional. This is a weird match to get emotional in because, <laughs> I, like, I'm, I'm sitting here watching this, and I, I was not emotionally invested at all. I mean, how can you ever feel any way about a team called Chronic? Like, like what, what, what is well, – I never I, – I was always, like, kind of upset about even like, – like, what was that supposed to be? Like, with, with the weed references, like – Neither one of these guys looks like they've ever smoked a joint. No, vibes. like what? What was this supposed to be? What was was that like? Did they have that reputation backstage? Because it wasn't like Van Hammer and Buzzkill were coming out here. It's Chronic, and their move is the High Times, and yeah. it just it doesn't make any sense. It's just like some shit that Russo thought was cute, but like it doesn't make sense in terms of like professional wrestling competition. So at this point, Tank Abbott comes out to the ring for this week's beating. And uh, as he makes his entrance, Tony says, Tank always causes the show to come to a screeching halt. A shoot from Tony Schiavone on commentary. <laughs> Footage of Tank's rampage is shown. A two-week rampage that included a shirtless Mark Madden and an NHL team manager that no one has ever heard of. <laughs> Tank runs down Goldberg by saying that he should change his name to Bill Ghostberg. He did. And he thought he thought I was going to get a big laugh. He really did. He was waiting for the big laugh, and it never came. It was sad. I want I want to see the I want to see the vignette of uh, of Tank before the show, like just the camera work of Tank. Just Goldberg, no, no, uh, uh, Ill Goldberg, no, no, that's not it. Wait a minute, guys, I got it. Bill Goldberg, that'll get him. <laughs> Also, it was Tank Abbott, so the first ten were probably highly anti-Semitic before he finally got to Ghostburg. (laughs) So Abbott then stumbles over his words for whatever left is in here before going hunting for his next victim. Tank approaches the announcers, and Madden jumps the guardrail. Madden then chases off a cameraman. Tank then approaches the internet broadcast team. Yes. But you might know them by their more recent name. The TNA front office. Yes, the WCW internet broadcast team was made up of Jeremy Borash and Bob Ryder. <laughs> Tank throws Ryder into the ring, and Borash attempts to distract the shoot fighter by jumping on his back. This results in Jeremy taking a straight right hand from Tank. Bill Banks, who would later run TNA's website, then gets in the ring and he is knocked out <laughs> instantly. Security runs out and Tank leaves the ring. I usually hate Tank Abbott segments, but after a year reviewing Impact, Nate, this was my favorite Nitro moment of the entire year. Yeah, I mean, just seeing JB 
and 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 Banks and Ryder. Like I, I felt nostalgic for a little bit, and uh, yeah. So this this might have been other than the segment where Tank came out to stop the show and said he wasn't going to leave, and then he left the next segment. Other than that, this might have been the best use of Tank Abbott this year. I I really I used to, honestly I used to enjoy the Tank Abbott character because. Uh, because of his um, because of his past, because of his his MMA experience, he did kind of have that air of legitness and or legitimacy. And um, I used to I remember watching being like concerned about people who he was in a ring with that he was actually going to shoot on them. Like I remember really feeling that way. And um, to me, that brought that always brought a little bit more gravity to the character. So I, I tended to be into it. Um, I even liked it when he used to come out and like mark out for three count. I always liked that. I don't know why that tickled me so much, but it did. Yeah, ironically enough, that may have been the best use of Tank Abbott during his time in the company was that uh, three count gimmick. Yeah, that was great. I was there for that. <laughs> Back from break, a steel cage with a roof surrounds the ring as DDP <laughs> makes his entrance. Jarrett comes out with Vince Russo, but Paige attacks the champ before he can get in the cage. Since this is a Russo-booked cage match, it starts with Jarrett and Paige brawling around the crowd. Jarrett hits DDP with a garbage can, and they brawl over to the entryway, whipping each other against guardrails. Eventually, they do make it into the cage, and uh, with the match proper started, these two actually have a pretty good by-the-numbers cage match. A lot of people get whipped into the, into the fence and whatnot. DDP calls for a diamond cutter, so Mike Awesome runs down and attempts to rip the door off the cage. In the ring, Jarrett hits a DDT and attempts a scoop slam, but DDP drops behind and hits the diamond cutter. This is when Awesome rips the door off the cage, but Canyon comes out and he takes out Awesome, while DDP covers for the three count, becoming the new WCW champion, his third and final reign. DDP Canyon and David Arquette then celebrate in the crowd. Uh, hardly any time is spent on this world title change as the announcers immediately plug the first blood match and we go to break. And I'm on the network and you know you can see how much a show is left. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, I was like, this bar, like, I, don't, I don't understand the rest of this <laughs> bar. It's, I didn't. I didn't get why that wasn't the end of the show. I'd... Well, there's yeah. See, that's that's the question, and then you know, Lord knows I love me some Sting, but if you're going to go through the trouble of doing this whole thing with Arquette, this should have been the main event. This should have been the last thing we see as we go off the air. Uh, they they should have gave it a little bit more time. Uh, I mean, Paige and Jarrett, they can have a perfectly acceptable match, but I think this was below their normal standards for either guy. Uh, and then the other thing was, and then again, this is how, you know, you've been watching too much WCW 2000 because little things stick, stick out to you. And I noticed when awesome enters the ring and you got Canyon coming behind him and DDP finally hits the diamond cutter and the ref goes down for the one, two, three, he goes one, two. And then when everybody runs in the ring, he stops, looks up at everybody and then goes back down to count the three. I'm like, shouldn't yeah. that start the three count again? <laughs> wow. And this was this is veteran referee Charles Robinson, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think even he, – like, he's a veteran, but even he has not seen booking like this before. Yeah. So he's like, wait, was was Awesome supposed to enter – or not – okay, we are calling this – okay, we're calling this a three. We're, we're, we're going forward with this. <laughs> so it is main event time, uh, Vampiro versus Sting in a first blood match. 
Vampiro comes out first as Tony says that this match will settle the issue between these two men. Uh, I hope it doesn't, considering they're facing each other at the pay-per-view in two weeks, Tony. (laughs) Oh, my God. Sting's music plays, and he drops from the rafters into the entryway, but he can't unhook his harness. It's a little awkward for a second. Vamp charges the Stinger and brings him into the ring. Sting fights back with kicks and chops. Uh, He's doing his best Hulk Hogan impression, giving no offense to Vamp. Sting suplexes Vamp and then throws him to the outside. Vamp gets on the announcer's table, points to Sting, and runs his thumb over his throat. This causes gallons of fake blood to fall on Sting from above. Now, unfortunately, Turner's standards and practices would not allow the announcers to call it blood, so instead they identified it as red liquid. My God! A red liquid from the top just... What is... God, you smell that! What is that? Vamp slides back in the ring, hits Sting with a nail in the coffin while both men struggle to keep their balance in this red liquid. The new blood then hits the ring and beat on Sting. Sting tries to fight back, but the numbers are just too great. The group then drags Sting to the entrance and hooks him up to his harness. So this lifeless, bleedy Sting is then lifted a few feet off the ground. He's actually hovering over the fans who are trying to avoid having this fake blood dripped on them. (laughs) And that's our show. That's how we go off the air. Not with the baby-faced world title change. We had to go off the air with this because they're going to ruin a fucking wrestling canvas to drop this red liquid. (laughs) Even, Even if you just take aside how kind of dumb and stupid this is because... It hasn't been that long since the brood. In, like, it almost was though like Vince Russo owed uh, the blood guy at WWF <laughs> a favor, and he was like, "Fine, we'll do a blood thing." <laughs> but it also makes no sense that Sting. This match is only happening because Sting wanted it to happen. If you had maybe announced at the top of the show that this that this had been scheduled ahead of time, okay, Vince Russo scheduled like he planned this, he brought in all this fake blood. But how did this much fake blood get to the top? of this arena on 30 minutes notice. There was some very quick illegal whaling happening. That's, that's, the, only, that's the only thing I can imagine. Somehow, uh, Vampiro found about this match and went and slaughtered a whale and uh, threw it with his own bare hands up into the rafters. <laughs> dead, dead center. Dead center of the ring. It was an amazing feat of strength. Um, but the cameras cut off before they got a chance to talk about all that. Man, this was something I've been... Like I knew it was gonna happen, but I didn't know when. Cause one of the one of the most vivid memories I have of the new blood was the the, the red liquid. Mm-hmm. And we didn't we didn't get the first week, we didn't get the second week. So I'm like, okay, maybe maybe it's something that happens down the line. I, I don't remember the timeline quite exactly. But then when uh, they announced the first blood match this week, I was like, oh, here we go. And then the fact that Sting was in it, you know, again, I oftentimes I talk about you know wishing I had superpowers on his program brian man like like the flash i go back and change uh things in history that that are that are terrible uh along with slavery and hitler this is this is something on my list i'd be like hey steve this is third I, yeah this third i show up in the locker room like hey steve he's like first of all he'd be like who the hell are you be like don't worry about that right now steve don't go out there man put on your street clothes <laughs> turn around and go home they're not gonna fire you just don't go out there because it's gonna be terrible man <laughs> god I saw, like, in my head, like, you in the front row of, like, time-traveling Nate in the front row of the show. You got Hitler's head in your hand. And you're like, hey, Sting! Sting! Duck! Duck, Sting! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So this, uh, 
this was a roller coaster of a show. We were all over the place. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is uh, how do we feel overall? Would you guys give this a thumbs up, a thumbs down? Would you recommend people watch this episode of uh, of Nitro? Uh, I uh, I don't know, man. Um, <laughs> that, I, I I don't I I I don't know. Like I I don't know what to, I, I had a really hard time watching this um, because. It so many times it made me so confused, um, and and it's like the kind of thing where I feel like somebody should have to answer for this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I feel I feel like there should somebody should be like not necessarily punished, but but some somebody has to has to explain. Somebody's got to explain, and I and I think having people watch this without um, anyone being accountable for it, it's just we're just causing pain to people. You're just hurting people at that point. Oh, see, so we, so what you're saying? Hold on, I just thought of a great uh, addition to the WWE Network. If they had, you know, like the Spanish commentary button, uh, yes. but instead of that, we get a Russo commentary oh, button. Oh my god! He's like, look, listen here, bro. I oh. wanted Stain to come out and get covered in blood because we're the new bloods, right? And it makes <laughs> sense, bro. It's it's it's, it's genius. <laughs> yeah, I needed I needed that this match, and also I needed like I don't know. I need a way to also be able to give him feedback as he's explaining <laughs> these things to me. He's very receptive on Twitter unless he oh, has blocked God. you, as he has done to me. Now, you know, I honestly, dude, I, I stay away from wrestling Twitter. Like, yeah. In terms of the wrestlers themselves, I, I tend to stay away. Um, I, I, I find um, the selective use of kayfabe very confusing. Um, yeah. So I tend to stay away. The thing that gets me is when people like in the business start following me on Twitter, and then I I do get a little uh, a little more aware because it, it's it's different than when um, before it was just like oh me and a lot of people just like joking around about the thing, but then when you sort of see a situation where like just like two days ago, Justin Roberts started following me, and now all of a sudden I'm like okay I need to not maybe piss off Justin Roberts. I don't know. It, it, <laughs> no, it, it is weird when that. you start to drift into that world. Yeah, I understand that completely. Like there's. There's rappers who I might have criticized, except that I know, you know what I mean? Right. I know that they, uh, they're following me on the box, so maybe, you know, I'll, I'll keep, my, keep my words to myself, you know? Uh, speaking of having to, you know, I guess sugarcoat things, uh, this, is our, uh, this is the silver lining segment. This is where we have to pick one thing from the show that we just unqualified, thought was, thought was great, uh, don't have to sugarcoat it at all. I really enjoyed seeing... Um, Eric Bischoff's character work. I I really I've I've forgotten how good he was at kind of being like a real believable sleazeball, like really believable. Like he he would do like little facials and things all through promos when he wasn't talking. It was stuff that really sold him as being a complete scumbag. And um and and I'll and I'll I'll, I'll go you one further. I missed hearing Mark Madden on commentary. And wow, that's Mark, a first. And look, Mark Madden is an asshole. Like, let it, let it, <laughs> let, let it. No mistake, no mistaking it. Mark Madden is an asshole. But I think I miss unadulterated assholes on wrestling commentary. Like, I miss that a little bit. <laughs> oh. It's, this is a hard show for me, Brian, man, because, <laughs> like, it, you know, speaking like, the the Nate, bubble Sting that, was on it. It's not hard. You got Sting. Just say Sting. Well, you know, I mean, the the way the way they did Sting, though, it, it, it's like you know, watching. 
it's like watching your favorite fighter get knocked out. Like I remember when I was little and I and like uh Sweepy Whitaker started to get old and he started getting beat up in his last few fights. It was it was a little sad. <laughs> uh but I like this is not the worst show we've watched. Uh but it's not it's not the best either. It's it's I think it's a step down a, a little bit from the the episode we watched last week with Chris. Uh, but it's still better than the reboot show, in my opinion. So uh, I'm gonna say it's 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 okay by Russo standards. And I guess the silver lining for me would probably be and this might be a little weird because he wasn't great, but I liked I like seeing David Arquette's genesis in in this promotion, like his his uh, first kind of steps into the promotion as an on screen character. I, I enjoyed that for for nostalgia. Yeah, although it is weird that he seemed like such an afterthought once this uh, the show was over. Like, he apparently got this big Hollywood star, and we don't go off the air talking about him. I think for me, Nate, I have to agree this was sort of like an in-the-middle episode in terms of the three that we've seen. I said it earlier. I mean, my favorite thing was watching uh, watching Tank beat the shit out of the future <laughs> TNA front office. Like, uh, the only shame was that this couldn't have come a decade later so that they knew why this was happening to them. Uh, but that, for me, was definitely my, my, my high hey, point. Hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. One, <laughs> one, third, one third of that group shouldn't, shouldn't catch a beatdown. I think you say TNA Wrestling was a solid website. Billy didn't deserve no, to no, get, no. To J- get J- J- JB doesn't deserve to, to catch that beatdown, man. <laughs> so, Mike, thank you so much for coming here. Hey, uh, not only me, uh, spending the time... Yeah, not only spending the time chatting with us, but also uh, spending the time watching this. That that might have been the the, the bigger uh, ask. <laughs> it was it was it was tough. It was tough. Now, usually, this is where we say that if uh, people want more of uh, our guests in their life, where to follow them on social media. But not you got more than just that. You also have the great tights and fights uh, podcast as we were talking about. But you are actually going to be going on tour in September. Yes, I am going all over the country and Midwest, uh, the South in terms of Texas and Atlanta and stuff, East Coast, all up and down there, West Coast, all up and down. Starting September 15th um, um, and in different dates throughout October as well. I'll be all around the country in most of the major cities. Um, And if you check me out at Mike underscore Eagle on Twitter, uh, you can very easily find those dates and come to a rap show. Nice. Yeah, you're going to be in my neck of the woods, Nate and I were actually talking before uh, before you joined us. Uh, yeah, you're gonna be at Knitting Factory, uh, oh, which is where I used to. Yeah, yeah, I used to go there all the time for uh, uh, Hannibal's old show that he would do there uh, every week. Yeah, I, I did. I did that show with him a couple times. Man, that was always a fun time. And uh, so, yes, thank you for for stopping by. And you said you're uh, uh, on on Twitter. Uh, yep. What's what's the handle? At uh, Mike underscore Eagle. Awesome. Well, thank you again for completing this experiment with us. And to the listeners, thank you for uh, completing this experiment with us as well, especially the ones of you that are actually listening along and, and, and watching each week. That's a real real badge of honor to you guys. Um, now, if this is your first time listening, a full archive of the show is available at fightnetwork.com and liveaudiowrestling.com. And if you have feedback for uh, Nate and I, you can send it on over to keepit2000pod at gmail.com. Uh, and if you want more of me, I am... At Brian Maxman, all over the internet. Now, uh, Nate, as always, uh, it, it's your. It, we end with you. Give the people the good word uh, to hold them over to uh, our next trial. Yes, well, I want to thank everybody for joining us once again up here on the Satellite of Hate. I uh, want to send a shout-out to uh, Brother Mike again for participating in this experiment this week. And uh, since the, the focus of this week's show, at least for me, was one David Arquette, and I know a lot of our listeners might have some hate out there, I want to leave you with some positive words uh, for this week. Uh, they come from the great Master P. Look at all these haters. 
surrounding me every day. Hating on a baller, but they can't stop my pain. Stop all that hating. I can't take it no more. I'm just trying to get mine. You best get yours. So what you hating for? Shit like this. Good, good.